friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. In a series still in Second Timothy, uh, and the title is "Last Words." So, as we've said week after week, these are Paul's last words to Timothy. He writes him a letter, and um, clearly, in his last writing, he's just including all the important stuff, all the things that Timothy needs to know. When Paul's no longer around, he won't be able to consult Paul anymore. He'll have this treasure of a letter from Paul um, that he'll remember, and Paul is encouraging Timothy about how to live faithfully in the last days, how to um, stand firm in his faith, how to fight the fight, how to keep the faith, how to finish the race, right? And so this morning, um, we're going to dig back into to 2 Timothy, and we're going to kind of do a little bit of, uh, of gymnastics, because we're going to start in one section and then go backwards to another. So if you have your Bible, open to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 1 through 9. I'll have it on the screen as well. And we'll just dive in. Paul says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is, that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Um, and then if you uh, turn backwards to chapter 1, verse 8, and we'll continue our reading and we'll connect the dots on these two passages. Verse 8, Paul says this, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Paul tells Timothy these key words. It's like uh, in all of this, it's really fascinating what he tells Timothy to be strong in. He says, be strong in grace. This grace that's in Jesus Christ 
And this grace, right, um, that is presented in the gospel, in the announcement of the kingdom of God coming to earth from heaven, this grace of God, right, that was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of the time. Isn't that interesting? You were given the gift of grace before the beginning of time and space. The heart of the Father produced the world in grace and was ready to give his grace in Jesus Christ, in the appearing of Jesus Christ. And that grace has destroyed death and brought immortality in the light of the gospel, this incredible thing. But Paul says, be strong in grace. Of all the things, Timothy, you could be strong in, be strong in this. You could be strong in your personality. You could be strong in your talents and abilities and skills and giftings, in your education, in your work, in your wealth, in your family, in your reputation, all those things. He says, no, 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 be strong in grace, which is really interesting thing to be strong in. Be strong in the gift. <laughs> be strong in the thing that you didn't earn and couldn't achieve for yourself. I think it's fascinating that, that Paul, near the end of his life, is still convinced that the upside-down kingdom is true. That weakness is strength. That surrender, right, is victory. That losing is gaining. He hasn't shifted even a smidge on, on his like, conviction about who Jesus was and how he lived and what he calls us to. And he's like, Timothy, my dear son, be strong in grace. Be strong in surrender. Be strong in your weakness. Like, right, boast in your weakness. Um, this quote uh, from Brennan Manning's book, uh, Ragamuffin Gospel, he says, Grace means that in the middle of our struggle that the referee blows the whistle and announces the end of the game. We are declared winners and sent to the showers. It's over for all huffing, puffing piety to earn God's favor. It's finished for all sweat-soaked straining to secure self-worth. It's the end of all competitive scrambling to get ahead of others in the game. Grace means that God is on our side, and thus we are victors, regardless of how well we have played the game. We might as well head for the showers and this champagne celebration. Isn't that amazing? The game's been called. Although, here's, I think I would change something about this. I think the game keeps going. Because God loves his creation. He loves the game. But now we get to play the game free. Like the scoreboard's done. The game's already decided. Now go out and play. How would you play if you knew where the game was going? Uh, those of you who have, who have played sports, uh, you know how tight things get when the game's on the line, right? Like you get, I mean, it does weird stuff to your body when you're shooting game-winning free throws. Like you get nervous, you're sweating, I mean, your, your arms get tight, and you're just like, but can you imagine if you're like, no matter what I shoot here, we, we win. So I think we get sent actually back into the game to play free, and to play with joy, and to play where we pass the ball more than we shoot it. <laughs> where we actually celebrate other people using their gifts, not worrying about uh, the, the stat sheet, right, the box score. Um, I think it's this beautiful thing that grace does, is in the middle of everything, he says, you've already won. You've overcome. You have everything you need in me. Now, how would you play the game if you knew that you lacked nothing? How would you play the game of life? How would you play the game of your marriage, of your parenting, of your business, if you knew that you've already won? That there literally is no such thing as losing anymore. I think we'd play a lot differently. Paul, 
goes on, and he, and he, I think he describes this thing of being strong in grace, um, which is really important, um, how he does this. So, like, how can we be strong in grace, right? I'm going to go back to here. He, he says this, remember Jesus Christ. I think that's the most interesting thing. Here's Timothy, the disciple of Paul, who's sent into the world. Timothy has sacrificed and suffered and walked and moved and done all the things Paul has asked him to. And Paul's like, hey, among all things, hello, be strong in grace, remember Jesus. And it's interesting to me that when we get into the game of life, and even when we get into the game of ministry, it's possible to forget Jesus who he was, what he did, what he asked of us, because we get busy in the performance of things and we get sideways about what our purpose is and what it looks like. And Paul's just like, hey, the first thing you've got to do is remember Jesus Christ. Remember the gospel of grace. Remember what he's done for you. Let that be the foundation. And it made me think about when he says, remember Jesus Christ, what, what is it we're remembering? And it's funny because it, it literally is the easiest verse. We all, if I could ask you to quote one verse, if you grew up in church, you'd quote this one probably. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because we have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Remember Jesus. What what about Jesus? Remember that Jesus came into the world to save you from your sins. Remember what this whole thing is about. That this story is headed somewhere. And if you forget the plot, right, you'll just start, you'll start shooting off in different areas of your life that um, it won't, I always, I think about this lately, I don't know where I got this statement, but I've started considering that everything that happens starts to move the plot forward in my life. That's what I want to do. I want to move the plot forward and where God's working and what he's doing in the world and in me and in our family. And Paul's like, listen, this plot, this whole thing is about Jesus. It's about God the Father who loved the world. And I got caught up this week on that, uh, that word so. Isn't it interesting? For God so loved the world. Not just that God, for God loved the world. For God so loved the world. And this was before the, the show Friends. Right, like the, before, so started becoming part of our language to be like, I'm so, you know, that, that word has just been in there. And I was like, I wonder what that word means. And I looked it up in the Greek, and it literally means this is the way. So, another way to say it is this is the way God loved the world that He gave His only Son. Like, how much does God love the world, or how does God love the world? He would say, Here's how. I'm going to give you the greatest, most precious gift anyone has ever given anyone. I'm going to give you my son. This is the way that I love the world. That he gave his one and only son. And so here's, here's what I think. I think this morning, um, wh- what happens to Christians is it's easy um, for us, and, and it's in the, the letters to the churches in Revelation, right? It's easy to get lukewarm, It's easy to allow apathy to enter our lives. It's easy um, to just start checking boxes and slowly drift into a life where like, yeah, of course I love God, right? Anytime you use the word of course before a statement means you're off course. Like it's like, you're like, well, of course I, you're like, well, we wouldn't be having this conversation if it was of course, like we're having it because something's off, 
right? Like, and, and, and I, it's really fascinating because I think the whole world conspires to get us to the place of lukewarmness, apathy. C.S. Lewis has a famous exchange in the screw tape letters where he's like, listen, he's telling this demon, don't get them tempted into radical sin because if they do, they're more likely to repent. He says this, he says, keep them in church, but keep them critiquing and complaining and keep them in self-righteousness. He's like, and then they'll be on our side. They'll actually do our work for us. But they're like, if they go off the, off the deep end, it's more likely they'll see the error of their ways and repent and come back. And, be, and this time they'll be fully in with what God's doing. The Moravians had this statement that they used, which I, I love. They're like, uh, they said, we sing and pray 24 hours a day in community to fend off lukewarmness. We got to fend off lukewarmness. Your life has to be built in a way to where you're, you're constantly fending off um, uh, apathy, mediocrity, settling for less than God promised you. And so this morning, I want to invite you into a remembrance of Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that's what we're here for this morning, is for you to remember Jesus Christ. And you're like, yeah, but we're here. And I, and I know. But, but I think there's like a thing of like, not just remembering in theory, not just remembering in theology, not just remembering a bare face on the page, right? But like remembering specifically who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for you. I think that's what it means to be strong in grace. And so I want to work through this, right? This is the way. This is how God loved you. We want to do this. So, that, so how do we do this? How do we be strong in grace? And I've just got four things, four R's. It's very preacherly this morning, all right? So it should be easy to remember. remember. Uh, so, so one, what do we do if we want to be strong in grace? And Paul just, he says it. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember the way that God has loved you. Not just that God loves you. Right? It's like, I know God loves me. No, 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 no. Is it fresh in your heart the way, the so in that statement that God so loved you? You got to remember the way that God has loved you. Remember your story. One of the most important things for any individual is your origin story. Where do you come from? Right? What is it that has shaped you into the person you are? And your faith It's the same thing. Remembering the origin story of your faith. Remembering who God is. Remembering his faithfulness. Remembering his grace. Paul does this all throughout the New Testament. Right? In, um, in, in Romans, um, he says this. You see, sorry, um, I want to read the Ephesians passage first. Um, uh, but he says, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, this is Romans, powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul's remembering in his own heart who he was when Jesus died. Like, where was I when Jesus died on the cross? He's like, I wasn't at the cross praising him. Shortly after, Paul's holding coats, right, while they're stoning one, one of the apostles. Like, he's, he's, Paul is vehemently persecuting. In the midst of all that, Jesus is like, Paul, guess what? I'm going to the cross for you, buddy. While you are still a sinner, Christ died for you. Ephesians, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
So a couple questions just to help us do this. Do you remember what your life was like before Jesus? And this, this is for those of us who, who had like a pre-Christian story, right? And we'll get to some other folks here as well. But do you remember what your life was like before you met Jesus, before he saved you and rescued you? Can you imagine what your life would be like had you continued on that path? Where would you be right now without him? Do you remember, maybe you grew up in church and you're like, I kind of don't remember a time where I wasn't a Christian in my heart and believe, but can you remember a time where you're far from God? Even though you might say, I I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, I believe rose for the dead, I want to go to heaven, and yet my life has been, my life's far from God. Do you remember what that's like? Can you remember when Jesus restored you in truth and in life to what you believed in your head? Can you remember when those two things came like that and you're like, oh, this isn't just true in some metaphysical way. It's true in my heart. I believe it. I want to live it. I love Jesus. We have to stay close to that story. Paul's like, be strong in grace. Remember Jesus. Because if not, you will wander. You'll wander. Um, So the first thing we do is remember. The, The second thing we do is we rehearse We not just remember the way that God's loved us, we rehearse the way God has loved us in Jesus Christ. Paul says this, The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. I love that Paul, in every single one of his letters, he includes some portion of his salvation story. Um, It's fascinating. I don't know how many of you have been here when our friend Corey Russell uh, rolls through and shakes things up. But one of the things I love about uh, our friend Corey is whenever he preaches, he always tells his salvation story. I've heard him preach 15 times, and it always starts with, I was a college student who was addicted to drugs, my life was in disarray, and I met Jesus in a parking lot, the power of God came in this car, I I fell out of the car onto the cement, and I gave my life to Jesus. Like, it's just every single time, he will rehearse his salvation story. And I think that rehearsal breeds the passion in our heart. And the love and like just the, oh, the zeal comes from this rehearsal, from always telling of who God is and what he's done, right? We see this all over the Psalms. In Psalm 89, it says, I will sing of the, great, of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you establish your, uh, your faithfulness in heaven itself I love it. I will, make, I will make it known. I'll declare it. I'll remember and I'll rehearse your deeds, God. Like, I'm just going to continually be telling of who you are and what you've done for me. Because when I do that, it strengthens my life in the grace of God. It reminds my, my, uh, my heart that, that I didn't do all this. This is all a gift from God. So we rehearse the way God's doing that. So the question for me is like, when was the last time you told your story to another person? Like, when was the last time you just like, you sat down and you're like, you felt prompted maybe, or, or, but you just said like, man, here's how I got saved. Here's how I became a Christian. Here's how I grew up. Here's what God's doing in me right now, which is renewing my life. 
And I tell you, a a Christian community who's constantly rehearsing the the deeds of God in their midst is a strong community. It's it's strong in grace, and it inspires people to the desire to know and love and serve Jesus. So we we rehearse uh, these things, and then we, we receive. In the midst of that, as you remember and rehearse the deeds of God and how he's loved you, you start to receive afresh the way God has loved you. You freshen up. I'll tell you what, there's not, not many things worse than a stale Christian. I don't know if you guys ever gotten like, you take a bite of bread and you didn't realize it was stale, and like, or a chip, or the worst is for me is I love milk. And you think, it's oh, it's great. Get a glob of it, and, and it just like, oh, the smell hits you at the same time, the taste hits you, and it's just... It's terrible. One time I was at Annie's parents' house at the lake, and I got a big thing of milk, and I just took a big swig, and I was like, babe, this milk's terrible. Ugh. I mean, I was like, I, I haven't thrown up in 27 years. No, sorry, 25. 25 years. No, no answers. Um, I just don't do that. It just doesn't happen to me. I, I was close, and she's like, babe, that's buttermilk. <laughs> she's like, how did you not notice it? When you poured it, it was small, it had a green cap. I don't know. I just poured it and chugged it. It's terrible. But, like, stale Christianity is, it is so offensive. And it's the difference between the stale piece of bread and when you walk in a house and there's fresh, fresh baked bread. That smell... Oh man, when you walk into the house of God and there is fresh bread in people's lives, it's like you just receive afresh the gift of God in Jesus Christ that's for you and you just start to remember and you start to rehearse and you begin to receive it again. One of my favorite things about what's happened at our church in the last three or four years is how many parents have showed up at this church because their kids got set on fire. Yeah, like, because it was just like, oh, we always had kind of this sliver of people, and all of a sudden all these young people started showing up, and then all of a sudden their parents were like, my kid's so excited about church, I just got to go see what's happening, we're just going to visit, next thing you know, they're like, I don't know, we're here, God's doing something. They received a fresh, they're like, this thing isn't just about my kids, it's about me. It's about my heart. I want to receive what God's doing in these days. I don't want to miss it, I don't want to retire from my faith. I want to be in the church. I want to be part of what God's doing. So we receive these things the way God has loved us, right? These truths uh, that Paul says, no, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you'll let it, God's word will freshen your heart. Greg preached last Last week. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is, it's so good, and it refreshes you when you receive it. So the question today is like, will you allow his grace today, his sacrifice, his mercy, his unconditional love to hit your heart freshly like a ton of bricks? Like when was the last time you heard the gospel shared and you wept? You just you're just like love of Jesus is overwhelming what he's done for us and there, there's something happens and again I, I love I love Brennan Manning if you haven't read his his book Ragamuffin Gospel you have to read it because um, it's, it's so challenging to the spirit of religion 
If you've grown up in church in Oklahoma, you need to read this book because it will challenge and shock you at do I actually believe um, in grace. But he's loved this. My deepest awareness of myself is that I'm deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I've done nothing to earn it or deserve it. That's what it means to be strong in grace is to have it go into the deepest part of you, this awareness that you're loved. And that it's not because of who you are or what you've done or what you've accomplished. It's because of him and what he's done. And then what's beautiful about this process is in the midst of this, when you remember and rehearse and then you receive this fresh thing from God, it restores to you the joy of salvation. And again, what you have in, in, in Christianity that's stale, um, you, you get zero joy. There's just no joy. It's just like, okay, we believe it. Okay, I believe it. And we're just going to keep going. We're just going to gut it out. We're going to, a lot of grit, you know, and it's just like, whereas the Bible talks about when you come to know God, you're coming to know the most joyful being in the universe. That's who he is. And so life in him should look like him. A, a church without joy is a church that doesn't know God. And that sounds weird because you're like, how can you have a church that doesn't know God? I, believe me, it, it can happen. It says in the book of Judges, there arose a generation in Israel who neither knew God nor followed his commands. An entire nation who forgot who God was and what he was doing, what he was like. But God can restore us to the joy of salvation. In uh, Psalm 51, David says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. My sin is always before you. Uh, before me, against you and you only have I sinned and that was evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Refresh me. <laughs> Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I love that phrase. One of the, the prayers I have prayed most in my life for the 25-some years I've been a Christian has been restore to me, God, the joy of those early days in you. Keep it fresh. Don't let me lose it. Because, guys, when I was a 19-year-old kid at a Bible college, growing up a pastor's kid in a Christian family, and I was a wild, I would, you know, you're like pastor's kid. I was one of those pastor's kids. I was a wild kid. Um, and the grace of God poured out in Jesus on the cross hit me. Oh, it devastated me. It rocked me. I'd heard it my whole life, but I, I'd never heard it before. I just, it just didn't hit and it changed everything and I had joy in my life for the first time the kind of joy that wasn't dependent on on any uh, exterior things and I wanted to tell people about Jesus I wanted to worship I've told the story like our, our my friends had uh, keys to a church we'd go two or three nights a week and we'd worship for three or four hours we'd stay up all night and pray over the chapel before we'd have chapel the next day and lay our hands on the buildings we're like shake the building God you know we're like doing all this stuff that we're like we didn't know what we were doing we were just excited about Jesus 
And we loved, any time we heard of something happening in Oklahoma City, we're like, oh, there's a worship service at Church of the Harvest. There's uh, Dennis Jernigan's doing Night of Praise. This thing's happened. And we started our own Gen X service. Anybody remember that? Any Gen Xers in here? Soul Asylum. It was, it was so edgy. It was just like singing and preaching. It was so funny. We're like, this is going to be so edgy and relevant. It's just church on Tuesday night <laughs> with college kids. Uh, but it's just like, oh, the joy of salvation. And I, I just don't ever want my life to drift too far from that. To be so uh, joyful that God has saved me. Uh, Julian of Norwich, uh, one of the mystics, said this, the greatest honor we can give God Almighty is to live gladly because of the knowledge of his love. Christians should be people who live gladly because they've come to know the love which surpasses knowledge. A gladness, and gladness is like surprise. Gladness hits you when you get surprised by something, by a gift, by a sunrise, by a mountain view, by an embrace, by seeing your child who went off to college and they came back and they surprised you. Like, you're, like it's like, it's this thing. So God wants to give you continually this surprise of his love and his beauty and his grace and his mercy. And he wants you to smile and be glad because it is better than anything else. So this grace, friends, it, 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 it's, it's this thing where if we're not careful, we'll think, and, and God uh, warns Israel, when he sends them to the promised land, he says, be careful, so that when I send you to this place with vineyards you didn't plant, and houses you didn't build, and, and cities you didn't create, that you'll look at your hands and you'll say, the work of my hands created these things. He said, be careful. You'll start to think it was you. And he said, be careful when you become wealthy because all these things, and you'll think, my hands created this wealth. And he says, it's, it's me who even gives you the ability to create wealth. If you'll just trace it all back, you'll always find God. But if you're not careful, you'll look at your life and think, man, I've done a good job. <laughs> look at what I've done. Look at what I've built. Look at who I've become. And you'll forget about the grace of God. And you'll be strong in yourself and you'll be weak in grace. Paul says, no, 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 like be weak in your stuff and be strong in him. One of the clearest pictures I got of this was um, we got lucky enough to take a couple trips to Sierra Leone, man, 10, 13 years ago. And um, I, I went with a couple buddies and um, when you're a pastor, you get like lots of honor in Sierra Leone. So think the opposite of America. Um, it's a joke. Uh, so, but like, it's like you get asked to do all the stuff. Greg can attest. They're like, you got to do this, right? I don't want to do this. You do that. I came here to like watch you, listen to you preach, do all this stuff. And they're just there. They just so want to. So when they baptize, when they have baptisms, they're like, well, you're the baptizer because you're the, you're the pastor. We want to honor you. And uh, you go to the beach and you just stand in the water and they just bring you the longest line you've ever seen of people to baptize. And you get to name them. Because all these people have Muslim names and they want Christian names. They want a new identity which, which demonstrates this new life that they've been given. And I don't know about you guys, if you ever name 75 or 100 people, it's hard enough naming one baby. 
Right? How many struggle? Like, what do we name this kid? I've got a million things. Somebody's going to be mad. Try naming 75 people in a row. I was like, John, Peter, Nathaniel. I was just like going through that. I didn't have my Bible on me. So I was like, Christian names. What's a Christian name? You know, and you're just kind of like repeating. It looks like Peter too. Okay, I guess that's cool. There's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of Pauls. Uh, like, you know, so they're just bringing these people out and, uh, and, and we're baptizing them. It's the most beautiful thing baptize this young man. He's weeping and he crosses himself and he just says, literally as he comes out of the water, he says, surely the goodness of God will follow me all the days of my life. And as he walks off, the pastor said, that guy will never, uh, his family will never speak to him again. He's already been ostracized. He's lost everything to know Jesus. And I mean, I, I'm just like, I'm a mess. And I think it's done. So it feels like we've baptized every, everyone, and I look out, and they come out, and they're carrying two women who have polio. And uh, they've never walked in their life. I mean, you've never seen a skinnier leg, and they're just carrying this lump of flesh. And the one they hand me is a woman who doesn't have a shirt on. All she has is a pair of basketball shorts that got sent to Africa from somebody. And they put her in my arms. And they asked me to baptize her. And I've just, oh. This is a lady that can do nothing for the rest of her life. She has nothing. She can't produce anything. She can't earn anything. Uh, she'll likely never be a leader in any meaningful way. And yet, she loves Jesus. She's met him, and she wants to be baptized. If we're not careful, we'll think, God, I want to be part of the story where I get to baptize people and not think that we're the one being carried. Spiritually, we look like her. And Jesus carries our limp, weak, worthless bodies out into the water and he just says, I love you. I love you. I love you. And he washes us clean. And he says, you may never do anything worthwhile for the rest of your life and yet I will love you. And someday, those weak legs, those weak limbs, that sick body will be remade. Someday, that addiction that you'll never be in your entire life, you'll go to your grave fighting the same battle of sin and think you're a failure, and God will renew it. He'll make it new. Because our life isn't about what we can do here. It's about his grace. It's about his ability to carry us through all those things I'm going to invite the band back up. Blaise Pascal, fam famous philosopher, mathematician, scientist, had an encounter with Jesus where he saw the fire of God and he wrote these words and he took it on a piece of paper and he stitched it in his side of his jacket and they found it when they died. When he, when he died, they took his jacket off his dead body. They felt something. They're like, something's in his jacket. They peeled it out and it was these words on his heart. He wrote every day of this encounter he had with Jesus. And he writes, fire. He saw fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Your God will be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. 
He is only found by the ways taught in the gospel, grandeur of the human soul, righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. When you meet Jesus, this is what it does. It makes you want to write it on your heart so that you never forget what it means to know him. Ephesians 1 says this, he has lavished us with his grace. What is God like? God is excessive. Right? He lavishes you. God throws parties. He makes feasts. Right? Like, it's just who he is. He is the most excessive being you could ever imagine. Whatever would just do it, you know, there, minimum, God is, is, is infinity beyond that in terms of what he will, he'll do to reach you. He lavishes us with grace. And what do we do in response? We lavish him with praise and with thanksgiving and with love. The church is meant to be a collective, grateful, joyful response to Jesus Christ. Like that, that's what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a, a church full of people who are just really good and obey all the rules and always make, it, make everything right. But I love this glory that Paul talks about in Ephesians 1. When he lavishes us with his grace, we come to know his glory. And so... Um, I want to do something before we sing, because we're going to sing this song, We Crown You. And I love this song, because it's just about Jesus. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a right response to his grace. But um, I want to do something real quick, just a collective response. So I want you to, um, if you got like radically saved in a moment, in your bedroom, in your truck, at an altar, at a church, in a revival, if you got radically saved by Jesus, like you're just like, thunderclap, and you're like, I'm a Christian, I want you to stand up. Stand to your feet. I just want people to see. Yeah. Some of the balcony. See, keep standing. No, no, stay standing. Stay standing. Stay standing. Stay standing. I love that because God does that. God just shows up and he plucks people out. Psalm 103 says, you, you, you plucked me out of the pit. I was in the pit and you, whew, you got me. Okay, so that's one group of people. Um next group I want to just speak to uh, where you're like I didn't have a moment but I had this like move this patient grace of God that operated in my life until one day I looked up and I was like I think I'm a Christian or you're like wait am I am I Christian am I saved like how many of you had like a slow journey to God I want you to stand up you're just like it's over time I just slowly began moving to God I just, I'm like, man, he just, he just moved in my life over time. I want you to stand to your feet if you grew up in the church and you're like, I just don't know a, a moment where I wasn't a Christian. I was like, my life, and I, I had this word, my life has been saturated in grace. Even when I didn't know it. Look at this. Stand up. There you go. I didn't hit you in those three, I want you to stand up. So I just didn't have enough creative juices to get every... But what I love about that is I bet the people who had left could tell a hundred different stories of how they came to know Jesus. Because God can meet you in any way. 
meet you fast. He can meet you slow. He can meet you with power. He can meet you with tenderness. He meets you in the way he wants to meet you. But at the end, here's what I want you to hear. God doesn't leave anyone without a testimony. He does not leave any single person without a testimony of his grace, love, power, mercy, compassion. And this morning, what I, what I had this thought of, so I want you to just close your eyes and just take a moment. If you can picture, we're going to sing this song like we crown you, Jesus. Can you think of your testimony? Can you think back? If you were one of the people that are like, man, in a moment, I went from death to life, from darkness to light. Can you think of that testimony? If you're like, man, I've got this, this story of this slow work of God over my life, or oh, I've been in church my whole life, and I just, I love Jesus. My life's been saturated in grace. Or if it's a hundred other ways, think of your testimony here with your eyes closed. Can you think with your spirit, and can you turn that testimony into a crown? Can you turn it into a crown? And this morning, as we end, I just want to worship from our testimony. Respond to him with what he's done for you. And could you picture yourself in your mind's eye, like taking that testimony and putting it on Jesus's head and say, I just want to crown you, Jesus, with the story that you've done in my life. I want to give this back to you. I want to worship you in the grace that you've poured out of my life and however he's met you. And that testimony might include healing and reconciliation and forgiveness and, and uh, blessing. Whatever includes, just try to put all that and make this crown and say, Jesus, through my song, through my physical response, I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to get on my face. I'm going to come to the altar. And some way I want to respond to crown you king. Because you deserve high and lifted up. You deserve just a fresh response this morning. Our prayer team is going to be down front. If you need anything to, to be prayed over as we respond, feel free to come. If you want to come and you're just like, I just want to go back to the altar. I got saved at an altar. I want to go down to the altar and crown him. Do that. Whatever the Lord leads you to respond to in this moment, do it. So I'm going to pray. So Jesus, thank you for your lavish gift. Thank you for what Paul calls the riches of your grace. If it were a storehouse, we would never see the end of it. It would be storehouse after storehouse after storehouse. We prayed in the, in the prayer room this morning. If your grace were a bank account, there'd be no end to the zeros. It would just stretch and stretch and stretch. It would never end because there's no end to your grace. And so this morning, we see ourselves like that woman who got carried out. We, we came to you, Jesus, with nothing, and you gave us everything. We came to you with nothing, and you gave us everything. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Would you restore the church in these days to the joy of salvation? Would you restore the gladness in the church from knowing you, being known by you? Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Respond this morning out of your testimony. Give him the gratitude and the praise.
praise that he deserves. Because while you were yet a sinner, he died for you. Willingly. Yeah, so the prayer team will be down front. The altars are open. Respond as you feel.